Welcome to this new edition of the Dreamers and Doers podcast from Aryaka Networks, where we invite thought leaders from all over the world for some candid and insightful conversations. In today's episode, we're talking to the Chief Technology Officer of an innovative transportation and logistics services provider that specializes in moving freight to almost any part of the globe for any industry. They've been in existence for over 50 years. I'm referring to the Pennsylvania-based Pilot Freight Services, and I'm thrilled to welcome Mark Baker, the CTO. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sasha. It's my pleasure and uh, you know, looking forward to today's conversation. So let's get started with perhaps you describing what Pilot Freight Services does and your role in the company. Yeah, I'm the uh, Chief Technology Officer. Pilot Freight is a leading asset light 3PL provider. We specialize in the end-to-end transportation solutions all over the world. We have a heavy focus in domestic in the U.S., and we also concentrate in two areas of B2B and B2C. In our B2C market, we're actually considered the second largest provider of business-to-consumer in the heavy bulky goods in the U.S. We do a lot of work with Amazon, Walmart, companies like Purple Mattress, Bed Bath Beyond. So whenever you have, say, for example, if you bought a mattress from Purple, would most likely be the carrier that would bring that and also take away your old mattress. So those are some of the unique pieces. We also deal in full mile and last mile. Full mile being we handle from distribution manufacturer all the way to the consumer, last mile being from a distribution center to the consumer's home. And with that, we've got approximately 75 facilities around the U.S. So we're able to service literally every zip code in the country, and we're able to offer a variety of services with that. And in my role as the chief technology officer, I manage the information and the flow and the technology necessary in order to to carry that freight and move it from point A to point B and all information and data points that that generates that we need to provide on a real-time basis to both the consumer, but also back to the customers which we deal with. All this seems simple, but we know it is not. Mark, I know freight and logistics has been known somewhat of a, as a traditional industry. But when we scour your website, we see the mention of it having a technology-forward culture. So what does this mean in the context of you know, pilot freight? And broadly speaking, could you talk about the state of technology in this freight and logistics industry and how it's evolving? Yes. A lot of people interact with companies that they perceive to be technology forward. Uh, the, obviously, the UPS and the FedEx of the world, which have a lot of sophisticated tracking. Dealing with companies like Amazon, they provide a lot of real-time tracking. But in reality, that throughout the industry, really where this happens all over the globe, there is some very, very heavy legacy presence in the industry. A lot of old equipment, old programs, things that uh, have been used over the decades in order to move freight. We obviously move points point A to point B. It could be anything from Shanghai, China to Chicago, Illinois, or from New York City to Los Angeles. So in that particular movement, a lot of people really don't pause to think that there can be literally at times hundreds of decisions that have to be made around the movement of freight from point A to point B. That package that you order from the online retailer has got to be moved and has to be decided, the route it's going to take, the cost it's going to be. All of those things are being calculated today on an almost real-time fashion. And for the 
transportation logistics provider today in order to participate in that heavily growing e-commerce market, but also in the business to business because we deal in things like just on time, is you've got to be, be able to provide the technology solutions that go along with that. So you need to be thinking forward about your technology, not just with what you're doing today, but how am I going to service that? How am I going to improve the services and how do I bring value to the consumer? both at a business level and also at a consumer level. So that's why we reference ourselves as a technology forward thinking company, that it's really about how we move information along with moving that physical piece of freight to someone's home or to another business. So Mark, as a consumer, I'm incredibly grateful for the transportation, freight and logistics industry and truly enjoy the benefits, particularly during the pandemic, sitting at home when we had goods delivered at the click of a button. But if I were to think about it from your perspective, while a lot of us sort of got to sit and work from home, you were deemed an essential service by the government in the United States, and I'm pretty sure from governments the world over. And as an essential service, I imagine you had to adapt faster than most industries while dealing with this pandemic at a human level yourselves. So you mentioned some large customers, AWS and Walmart and others. And, you know, they were deemed essential services industries and they were dependent on you. But I think the big trigger is how did you cope with this sudden need to transform yourself? And uh, could you talk about that experience from a pilot perspective and how you navigated the situation for your customers as well? Yes. Really, when you when you step back from it all, you have to, you know, people talk about vision. They talk about whether you're a visionary. They talk about what are you thinking about. And one of the things that I consider in my particular role, particularly as a CTO, along with our CEO, is that Pilot has always having to be thinking about what are we going to be doing in the future? How are we going to prepare ourselves? You know, the old axiom of plan for the worst, hope for the best is something that's been around in the technology world for a long, long time. Disaster recovery, common terms like that, that you hear, and a lot of times aren't really tested until a crisis happens. There you know, were a lot of companies during events like 9-11 where today those companies no longer exist because they weren't prepared for such a catastrophic event. You have that same thing today with companies as a result of the pandemic is that they don't exist anymore because they really didn't know how to cope with something like that. So Pilot, I think, does a really good job in terms of constantly thinking about the future, thinking about things of how we can position ourselves. And when I joined the company, one of the elements that I needed to think about was, is what would Pilot do in the case of a disaster, not just a disaster in the traditional sense of people think about hurricanes or floods or these type of things that might affect the data center. But also when we use the term business continuity, what does that really mean? How do we make sure that we can do our business in any type of crisis? Well, a pandemic was one that really changed the dynamics. So Pilot had to move in a matter of hours and days to transform itself into, first off, remote workers, people that could do their jobs. Well, that was done because we laid in foundations over the last few years of, you know, going completely into the cloud. The second was being able to provide the type of networking, partnering with companies like Ariaka, that we could be very, very nimble and responsive to our customers. And then once that started to occur, then we found all of a sudden we were dealing with exponential growth, as you said, 
during the pandemic, a lot of people all of a sudden realized that they weren't going anywhere. So instead of going to the brick and mortar store, they were ordering online. So a benefit in one sense of the word for pilot was we experienced tremendous growth in our B2C e-commerce area. As a result of that was something we needed to adopt very quickly to. And that really came as a result of the systems that we had, keeping them scalable, keeping them in a fashion to where we could meet the unique needs. And then we could also respond to the volume levels that started to increase. Now, like a lot of companies, everybody experienced a real challenge in that area. We like to say that, you know, everybody was perfect, but the reality was it was just capacity. All of a sudden, people, you know, who were used to getting things next day more in the morning or overnight, you know, sometimes they had to delay a little bit. But overall, I think Pilot did an excellent job in responding to it. But I would have to compliment the IT team, but the company as a whole, from its leadership at the executive level, through those people who work the docks, who basically load the trucks, that they were responsive. And they also understood the fact that they were actually putting themselves at risk during that entire period in the fact that they were being exposed potentially. And we did an excellent job adopting early on protocols and actually had very, very few instances where we had exposure. And we took precautions with our customers. We changed our service offering where we did in-home delivery. We had to change and adapt to that quickly. So all of that is really when you come right back to the term that you brought up earlier of not only technology forward, but it's really about you know, logistics forward is that we needed to be nimble, we needed to optimize, and we needed to really be responsive to a shifting marketplace. You know, that's a really fascinating, Mark. And I'm truly grateful to companies such as yourselves for being in the front line, so to speak, and making sure that the whole machinery didn't grind to a halt. And uh, people like you at the helm, along with your teams that were able to keep things moving and have a sense of normalcy is very important to get back to. But speaking of transformation, you know, you mentioned this was a cataclysmic event of sorts that not many people could foresee. But some some other things that come about from the left field are, you know, mergers and acquisitions. Uh, you could either be an acquirer or an acquiree. And I know for re- recently, for example, Pilot acquired DSI Logistics. And I keep reading about other acquisitions that the company makes from time to time, especially now so that transportation and logistics industry has become a hot market. I think these will continue. But from a CTO vantage point, how do you handle this kind of transformation when you have to bring technology stacks from disparate companies together in a manner that's less disruptive for both the acquirer and the acquiree? Well, it's always a challenge to... uh... You know, it's easy to buy. It's another thing to merge. So consequently, you have to really kind of position yourself to be nimble, if you will, in this given area. And some of that is just really how do you consolidate? How do you bring not only the IT systems that are, in some cases, very disparate in these acquisitions, but also the people along with that? And it's making sure that they're able to, one, first, become and identify that they are now a pilot employee, whereas in the case of DSI, you know, they were DSI employees for a number of years. So one of the things that I think pilot has really learned to do well in its acquisition strategies is that it really has approached it with a one from the beginning is that we do a lot of testing and scoring of our potential targets that we want to acquire. Now, 
Pilot historically was originally somewhat of a franchisee franchisor model, but has really grown to where it's acquired most, if not uh, right on the verge of all of our franchise operations, so that we really are now one corporate entity. But when it comes to the third-party acquisitions like DSI and Manafraid, is that we concentrated in areas where we felt that the growth was going to be there. DSI, in the case of Last Mile, is again a response to the growth that we have seen shifting, the patterns that we've seen shifting, because it's not only in the case of where people were used to ordering online. Another dynamic that we deal is we work with customers like Lowe's and and other building supplies, is that people will go to a store and they'll buy something. It may be an appliance, it could be materials, it could be something of that nature. Pilot has positioned itself where it not only can operate from a distribution center to bring something to your home, Pilot actually operates embedded into, in some cases, into the actual retail store. So when you order something or whenever you want to go and buy something and you don't have the means to get it home, Pilot's there to be able to be responsive and actually move that material or move that delivery and deliver it into the home. So all of that goes to make up is, is that, so how do you actually acquire and how do you start to merge that into it? First off, it is you have unification of the technology from my perspective and making sure that you can move it. At the end of the day, it's really information. And that information just is maybe locked away in a different system. It has a different way. So one of the things that Pilot has concentrated on is positioning itself so that it could really bring data together quickly, our ability to analyze, our our ability to look at data and then make those decisions as we're acquiring and merging that company in to make sure that we're not disruptive to its customers, disruptive to its employees, disruptive to its shareholders, and then make sure that we bring them in in such a way. We've done that with a variety of different products and different services, but being in the cloud, this has allowed us to leverage. Pilot didn't take the traditional approach of uh, what I would call the typical freight forwarder in acquiring technology like an ERP. We took more of a best of breed, is that we find the best possible solutions and then we integrate those together. And by doing that, it's really allowed us to respond and be very elastic in the marketplace. So as we do acquire a target uh, acquisition, we're actually able to take their technology and move it in. And in many cases, we actually take the best of the best, bring it together, and then really integrate it and do some really fantastic results. You know, it's uh, like a technology chef in the making. You need the right ingredients to get the right taste at the end of the day. Exactly. And knowing you, Mark, you know, you've actually held roles in pretty fast-paced companies, both as a CIO as well as a CTO. You've taken some of these fast-growing companies and then stepped on the accelerator to speed it further. But I guess the trick is to go fast with reduced risk. If I may ask, you know, how do you sort of frame the vision for these roles? Because both of them require you to play the role of a visionary. And then how do you ensure that vision doesn't get compromised or the risk doesn't get elevated? And how do you sort of preserve that customer experience in all of these different roles? Well, I think it it starts with the fact that uh, when I began my career, is that I wasn't approaching it. Actually, some time ago, I grew up in a family. My father owned a transportation logistics company. I swore one day I would get out of it. And uh, I think today he kind of laughs and I'm I'm back in it and operating as a CTO level. (laughs) But I look at things from a very simple point of view and the fact that it's what does the business do? 
And then I asked the simple question is there's got to be an easier way to do this. So I think part of being a visionary is that you have to first understand the company you're working for, and particularly people in a CIO or a CTO role, is that it's not about the technology. The technology is just simply an enabler in order for the business to meet its mission and vision. So part of the job of the CIO and the CTO today is they've got to come into a company and they really need to look at it and understand what does this company do? What does this industry do? And what are the unique opportunities and what are the challenges that it faces? So given that, as you start to really understand that and say, how can I take this thing called technology and enable this business to be faster, more lean? How can I help it to grow revenues? How can I help it to gain its EBITDA and to produce more profit uh, orientation to not only what it's doing with its customers, but also with it, its employees? How can I, you know, we talk about words like efficiency and productivity. And a lot of times people, I think, lose sight of that. It's not just about reducing headcount, but maybe it's enhancing employees. Think about the massive amounts of data that we handle as companies today. And one of the areas that we talk about a lot is data quality. And the question is, is how can we improve that quality of data? How do we take our employees and and give them something to help enhance their job and make them capable of doing more, sometimes with less time? So I think that there's a grand opportunity in areas like artificial intelligence. People sometimes get a little scared about that that term because they think, well, that's a replacement for me as a human being. No, actually, if you really embrace it, and this is where the job of CIO and CTO comes into play, is helping people to understand is that I'm going to actually bring a technology that's not only going to enable you to do your job more efficiently, but I'm actually going to do something that's going to enhance your ability to do a better job than what you're doing. Consequently, you're going to benefit the company in terms of revenue growth, perhaps it's sales, to someone who's actually doing operations or administration so that they can deliver better information to make the company more profitable. So those are the type of things that when I look to be a visionary, is that you have to be constantly aware of what's changing, what's happening in the industry. You know, you need to look at things and say, what would that look like in the next five to 10 years? How can I take that product or service that's emerging on the market and apply that in the business that I work within? And I can make it an improvement, not for the sake of the technology or the, or the latest shiny object, but really, really enable the business to meet what is its mission? What is its vision? You know, what is it trying to do? And if you do that, if a CIO or CTO really focuses from the business view first, then I think that they can have an incredibly successful career, a lot of fun at what they do, and certainly accomplish some great deal of things. It doesn't mean that it's all easy, but it doesn't mean that it can't be done because I truly believe that there's nothing impossible and there's nothing that can't be done if you just simply take those two words out of your vocabulary. That's something we're going to convert into a sticker then. (laughs) Mark, this is uh, really good. I might want to switch gears a little bit. You mentioned career, and I want to talk about your career a bit. How did you get to become a CTO or a CIO? And I kind of learned that it's part of the family business now, but uh, you've probably gone down this parallel path without uh, aiming to go there. So could you sort of trace the arc of your career's journey and also show you're mentoring a lot of people who are coming to you for advice and paying it forward? So what's your advice to people that want to follow in your footsteps? For me, I simply started down the path. I actually did not go with the intention and didn't have a, a structured career of wanting to get into IT and technology. 
I just simply look for a better way to do something. I used to have to uh, do billing and invoicing for a company. And I simply asked the question of, you know, there's got to be a better and easier way to do that. Well, that led me down the path of buying a computer and learning how to program to write an, an accounts receivable program. So sometimes you fall into a career not because you do it with intention, but sometimes you do it out of necessity or, or desire to want to improve something. But as a result of that, what I found was it wasn't that it was the technology that grabbed my attention. It was the fact that I found a particular way to improve something that a business was struggling with and that I could actually make it better and more easy for not only for myself, but other colleagues with it. And that's really what started me down my track. What I learned in the lesson early on was three simple rules that I've applied in my career that uh, I, I sort of say it on my opening day when I've gone to different companies and I have the first rule is never lie to me because I firmly believe that trust is the most easy thing in the world for people to lose between one another and it's the most difficult thing for people to gain back. Now, it can it be earned back? Absolutely can be, but most people won't do the work necessary to do that. So relationship is really built upon trust. And I think it's important that people in their career, particularly those that want to be a CIO or a CTO, they really have to have trust at the forefront because you are being trusted by the executives, by the shareholders, by a number of people, not only with what you do on a day-to-day basis, but IT organizations can literally put a company out of business in the fact that think about the amount of global systems that are out there. Think about the ransomware. Think about some of the high-profile cases whereby IT allowed, say, a a ransomware into the company, and consequently, it it literally froze them out of their ability to do business. So it's it's a critical role, and trust to me is an essential piece. So I start that out with just something within the department and the employees that work for me or I work with on a daily basis. The second one is pretty simple. Make a backup before you start. We're all human beings. We're going to make mistakes. You know, so if you can start with where you are or where you started from and you get there with a backup, whatever form it takes, it's always a good thing just to be able to have that ability to fall back to the point of where you, you launch as you go into something. But the third rule and the most important to me is mutual respect. I absolutely believe that no one is any more important than anyone in a company, an organization, or on this earth. So from my point of view is that I think it's important, particularly being a a leader, is that if you want to be in a leadership role, you need to remember servant leadership. You're there to serve the people that you are leading. You're not there to be their boss. You're there to give them guidance. You're there to give them a vision of what they need to work for, and you're there to encourage them. So from the point of view is that you've got to start with, do I respect all of my employees and do my employees respect each other? Doesn't mean that we don't disagree. Doesn't mean that people have their own opinions. And that's a good and that's a healthy thing because sometimes out of those discussions come the best ideas. So by applying those three principles and three rules into an organization, that's really what has helped me in my career in achieving what I want to achieve. And then as a result of that is that I found just, I, I have a little bit of, uh, of a, a selfish uh, side, if you will, in the fact that I don't follow well. I like to be the guy in charge or, or the person in charge, consequently, because it's, I feel like that sometimes, you know, it's, it's a little bit of what a leader has to have. They have to have the desire to want to be out front. And with that, it comes with a great deal of responsibility. 
And I think if people can remember that, if they can remember the fact that you're there, you are the person up front, you're the person who has got to be the one who is taking responsibility for everything, no matter whose fault it is, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility to be a leader. So leadership to me is the utmost quality that you have to have. And those three principles are really the ones that serve you well. And as a result of that, you can help people along the way. I love pushing people up. Just to share a quick story with you, I worked for a nonprofit in my career, and I had a young lady who was actually an administrative assistant who worked in a different department who had a knack for programming. And uh, I encouraged her to develop her skill sets, and she really enjoyed it. And she had an opportunity to go to work for another company, and she was uh, afraid because she was comfortable in her particular role. And I encouraged her to leave, and and I you know, try to help her understand what kind of skills she had and where things were going. This was actually back in the, the early 90s. So consequently, the opportunities were vast at that particular time. She called me a couple of years after that. And uh, she said that, you know, I really wanted to just call and thank you for encouraging me to leave because as a result of leaving, she had become the top developer in another company. She had actually obtained a a title of VP of development, and she was making well over the amount of money that she was being paid in the nonprofit. But uh, at the same time, it's you build into people. The greatest satisfaction that you can have as a leader is pushing your people up, pushing them out, and having them grow. And for me, I get the most excitement, the most joy in what I do when I see other people succeed. And if I got a chance to play a part of that role in their career, great. That's really what it's about. People don't remember you for the stuff you have. They remember you for the relationships and the things that you do for them along the way. And sometimes it could be a little act and sometimes it could be a major shift. But whatever you do, remember people are people and always remember to help them. And by helping them, you'll help yourself. Mark, that was so beautifully said. I mean, it was extremely insightful for me. Clearly. You know, as I say, great power comes great responsibility, and you have taken that responsibility to heart and kind of made it your own. The three things that you stated about really having that kind of mutual respect, having a plan and building trust, which I thought is very important. You know, today we fixate so much on technology that we put trust to the background sometimes in this era of instant gratification. And so earning that trust and keeping it can go such a long way. I thought that was the highlight of the podcast session. And thank you for that wonderful narration. I wanted to you know, thank you for your time here, as well as for being an Ariaka customer. And it's something we're very proud of to have you and retain you and make sure that you have good experiences with the company. Wish to have you back at some point and maybe talk about leadership because that's an area I know you excel in. Sajay, I really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. I will tell you as an Ariaka customer and just as a, as a company, I've always been a great admirer of Ariaka, not only the technology it provides, but the people that I've met and grown to appreciate a relationship with them over the years that uh, you guys do a fantastic. I, I would certainly encourage anyone who is out in the marketplace for the services, please take a look at it. It's one that uh, I can tell you from my point of view, I was been a customer well over a decade with Ariaka, but uh, more important is, I'll go back to what I said about trust. Ariaka has been a, a very valued and trusted partner for me. And remember, part of that in developing yourselves as leaders and CIOs and CTOs, that you've got to find those strategic partners that will allow you to trust them, 
And uh, certainly you guys have done that for me. So I really appreciate it, the opportunity here. And I hope that, you know, this message will help anyone who is certainly considering this particular track and give them some insight into how and why you might want to consider this. Mark, thank you so much for those kind words. We treasure them and uh, we hope to keep the trust going in the future as well. Folks, that was Mark Baker, CTO of Pilot Freight Services. And with that, we're going to do a wrap of this podcast. Thank you for listening.